You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Okay, as we continue in our service this morning, I want to read from John chapter 6, which is our passage that Pastor Bill will lead us through this morning. And just a reminder, God's word is good, isn't it? It is sure, it is faithful, it is powerful, and it is truth. So let's read uh, from John chapter 6. Jesus feeds the 5,000. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Well, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Well, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that had been done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. God's word. And there you go. All right, for those of you who uh, don't know, we are in a series. The series is the Gospel of John. So we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John again this morning. We're going to be talking about this sign, this miracle, if you will, that points the way to Jesus and speaks about Jesus. A lot of the series so far, that's exactly what we've done. We've looked at the signs. We've looked at Jesus. We've tried to see what John is saying about Jesus to us, what what the, the scriptures are speaking to us about Jesus and who he is. He is the Son of God. All right, and, uh, and that's been made very clear to us. I want this morning to focus in on the disciples. And the reason I want to do that is because as we continue to go through John and as we have established indeed who Jesus is as the Son of God, um, I want us to begin to look at the disciples more and more and see their responses to Jesus as the Son of God and as the, the sign giver and the sign maker, if you will, um, and make some personal application for ourselves. And I really want to do that through this particular passage this morning. Frequently throughout the scriptures, bread is used as a metaphor, all right? That metaphor is for food itself, obviously. Um, and so we see and we understand ourselves uh, that bread is something that sustains life, all right? So biologically speaking, we, we use the term bread, and we understand that bread can mean an abundance of things, but all of that is for us to have life sustained as we know it on this earth. And Jesus is affirming here uh, when he says in Matthew's gospel um, that man does not live by bread alone. He is affirming that as human beings, 
although material, we are also spiritual. There is a dimension of us that requires more than a natural bread, a natural sustenance, whereby we are sustained, if you will. All right? And he's also helping us to understand in, in a, a, a roundabout way here that we are not to be dominated by physical urges and even physical needs, all right? There is something more. We are created for much more than just to have food and to be able to eat. And yet many of the people did not see this. They did not understand this fully yet, all right? And so Jesus' miracle here of feeding these 5,000-plus people, all right, and later the 4,000-plus people was a dramatic evidence to all of the people of Israel that Christ is concerned. He is concerned with our earthly needs. He's concerned with those things that we each have need of personally. But even more than that, Jesus is concerned with your spiritual need, all right? Ultimately, Jesus came not just to give you bread to eat, but be the bread of life to give you that life through his death and resurrection on the cross. And so the intent of Jesus is for you to understand that he has come for far more than just to make sure you get what you need in this earth realm, all right? Ultimately, we need to understand that he is our eternal sustenance. He is that that keeps us through all eternity. And so it's very clear here that this is something that Jesus is trying to bring forth here. And, and we could go into a lot of that, but this morning, I want to narrow in on the disciples. I want to talk to you a little bit about the disciples and how they are responding here, all right? The, on, on this particular occasion, Jesus is preaching, uh, obviously, about the bread of life, and, and he's using this opportunity to bring that out and to teach that in a very tangible way, all right? To see himself, as, as John talks about in, in verse 32 of this chapter, as being the true bread, all right? The, the true bread bread of life, sent by God from heaven, if you will, all right? Um, and when that began to become clear to people and that teaching started to, to, to sit with them, the Bible says that, that the people began to resist that, all right? Even down in verse 41, it talks about how the people began to grumble about this, and, and, and this became a hard teaching for the people. They didn't, they didn't receive it very well here. They were not ready to take it in yet in verse 60, and then even down in verse 66, it says that no longer did no, a number of the people follow him. They walked away. They wouldn't receive this teaching. And here's my concern. There are many in the body of Christ today who call themselves followers, but they're not really following. They're not living a life that evidences that they are true followers of Jesus Christ. And many times when we are called to do the work of the kingdom, in that moment we begin to resist. Something in us begins to resist the Spirit of God, and we don't want to step out and do what God is calling us to do because it seems hard or difficult or challenging or overwhelming in some way. And so we begin to turn from God, not literally as these people did. We, we don't necessarily physically walk away from God or walk away from the church, but in our heart we have walked away. We have turned and moved in a different direction than what God is asking of us. And so today, I want to look at these disciples, and I want to talk a little bit about how they responded to the needs of the people and how that Jesus would meet them. 
And so this morning, we're really talking about attitudes towards ministry. And I'm really going to challenge you and I to look at our own heart. I've really been praying and asking God. I want God to open our hearts this morning and show us who we really are. I want us to be able to see what's inside of us. You know what? We don't like to look at our own hearts. We don't like it because there's pain in there. There's, there's former suffering. There's things in there that we don't want to touch. And so we've, we've, we've covered over it in some way or we've put it in a box, if you will, in some way. So we don't have to go there. We don't have to look at that. And it's hard to do that. And it's really hard to do that alone, isn't it? No one wants to just, just pull away by themselves and look at their own heart and see the mess that is there. That's a very difficult thing to do. But when Jesus takes your hand and says, I want to show you your heart, and he opens your heart up, so that it is exposed and you can see what's really there. The intent of Jesus is for your good. The intent of Jesus is for your betterment. God's intent in showing your heart is to show you exactly what you need and to help you to understand that that need is only met in him because he is the one who can give you a new heart. And even as David prayed, God created me a clean heart. God can work on this heart. God can do things to our heart that allows us to become positioned where we can be utilized for the kingdom of God in unique and wonderful ways that we may never have imagined or dreamed that we could. And so the intent today is that the Holy Spirit really opens your heart and helps you to see where you really are. So let's look at the response of the disciples today. I want to take you down now. This is the Passover. Passover. This is the big feast of the Jews, all right? It's at hand. In other words, it's happening. It's going on right now, all right? So it's, it's in progress, if you will. And there's a large group of people for the Passover, much, much larger than 5,000 men and their families, okay? So there's a lot, a lot of people around. But there are about 5,000 men and their families who are following Jesus here on the outside of the Passover, and they're trying to see what he is doing, and they're looking for the signs that they've heard about, and they have needs, and they're bringing people to try to be healed by Jesus. There's all kinds of things going on here, and so we want to pick this up. I, I want to pick it up in verse 5, where it says, lifting up his eyes then, he saw a large crowd coming toward him. And when he did this, he responded to one of the disciples. In this particular case, he spoke to Philip. Now, one of the reasons I think he spoke to Philip is because Philip was a local disciple. Philip had been raised in that very area right there. He knew the landscape. He knew what was available around there. He knew the people and their, their, their uniqueness in that part of the country. And so Jesus speaks to Philip, and he asks him a question. And he says, what are, we, what are we going to do? Where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, that sounds like that's the plan that Jesus has. But we understand as we read further into this that this was simply a test uh, for Philip. That Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Jesus is never without a plan. And Jesus is never without the right plan. All right? And Jesus is never left in a deficiency. Jesus never finds himself in a deficit, all right? Jesus is always abundantly available and abundantly able to meet any need that he would encounter and any need that you and I might encounter in this life, all right? And so he's talking to Philip, and it says he's testing him. Now, please understand, we're talking about Jesus here, and I want you to get a right view of Jesus. This is not a pass-fail test. 
This is not Jesus throwing something out there and say, I'm going to see whether you're right or whether you're wrong. I'm going to see whether you're good or whether you're bad. This is an opportunity for Jesus to help not only Philip, but the other disciples as well to understand more about him, to be taught from uh, his experience and, and, and what he does, all right? And so he's asking Philip questions in order to get Philip to think about this and to respond. And then he's going to actually prove himself and show himself by another sign, all right? Another miracle event is going to happen, and it's going to open people's eyes to see even greater that, again, he is indeed the Son of God, all right? And so Philip begins to answer him. And I want to I preface Philip, Philip's answer. I'm going to kind of expose him here just a little bit. Again, we're not vilifying any of the disciples here. We're not judging them. We're not criticizing them. We're relating to them. We're identifying with them. We're seeing how we learn from them how we are. We begin to see in their reactions and their responses to Jesus and to circumstances and to opportunities and to ministry situations how they are responding, and we see our own heart in these places as well, okay? So let's take this, let's go through this, um, and, and let's let the, the Lord speak to us and speak to our own heart. He speaks to Philip, and Philip makes this comment. He, he says, um, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little, <laughs> all right? I, I, want, I want you to understand Philip here. Philip, it, Philip, I think, is probably kind of a realist. I don't know. Um, but put yourself in Philip's place right here, all right? He's just been following Jesus for a short time, really. This is, we're not very long into the ministry here of Jesus on the earth. And he took this man and called him out from a career, from a pathway uh, in life, all right, and asked him to just follow him, all right? And Philip says, yes, what an amazing act of faith, right, for him to do that. And now they're in this place, and they've been seeing people come, and they've been seeing people follow Jesus, and they're, they're probably awestruck by all of what's going on and still don't get it all. They still don't understand yet. As a matter of fact, there's some things that their eyes won't be open to even until after Jesus dies on the cross, and so they're constantly being given revelation and understanding from Jesus, all right? But, but Jesus speaks to Philip and sort of puts this on him. Philip, what are we going to do? Where, where are we going to go to get food? And, and basically what he's kind of saying and what, if it were me, what I would hear is, um, Bill, this is your problem. Bill, this is your thing, all right? I want to see what you're going to do here. And I would have clamored, like I would have been worse than Philip, all right. But Philip turns to him and says, do you understand? 200 denarii, eight months of wages would not buy enough food for everybody to have a little bit. We're not talking about a full course meal here. All right. They couldn't even get a little bit like we couldn't even get enough muffins, mini muffins. All right. To pass around for everybody to get something here. All right. And so, Philip, we have this problem. And I'm sure that Philip looked like the deer in the headlights, you know, so to speak. All right. You know, and he's trying to he's trying to figure this out. But here, here's the thing. We do this same kind of stuff. And if you go into the other gospels, which I think is important for you to do because you can get greater clarity and greater understanding as you read all of the, the synoptic gospels together and see what's going on here. And basically, the disciples said to Jesus in response to this and what he's saying to Philip, they're saying, well, Lord, 
send them away. We, we, we can't have this. This can't be our problem. We can't do this. This is, this is impossible. Just send them away. Do you understand, Jesus? This is impossible. All right? And so that's the position that they have. And this is what I want to say to you and I. God has put us in this community. God has put us in this neighborhood. God moved us from the old building to this building. God put us around the part of this city where the immigrant community is coming into this city and settling down. God put us in an area where we are in the pathway of a number of homeless people who if you were sitting in my office every day and looking out the window, you would see a number of them walking across our parking lot, kitty corner, to get to wherever they need to get to for the day. And they walk back in the evening to wherever they're going to get to for the night. But many of them are homeless people that are doing this. We have been put in a specific area of the city. Now, let me give you um, a little background to that. All right. We bought another building. Some of you may not know this history, but we bought another building before we bought this building. We bought that building many years ago. When we bought that building, Pastor Dave was working with the youth on a consistent basis, and we were bringing in on some uh, Wednesday nights as many as 120 to 180 kids teenagers in this city from other churches and other places and they were coming in and the gospel was being preached to them and we we were giving them cookies all right now some of them were doing crazy stuff outside the building but for the most part they were coming in and they were listening to the gospel and we were trying to reach out to them we we bought the building because pastor dave was doing this stuff in his house now thank god he was still single at the time all right but he was doing this in his house, and he came to me and said, Pastor, they're tearing my house down. That's literally what he said. My house is going to go into shambles here. It's going to get torn down if, if we don't find something. And, and, and there was a, a, a brother, a pastor in the city from Ethiopia, and uh, he had gotten into the real estate business as a bivocational sideline, all right? And so he's doing real estate. And I met with him that day, and we're great friends. And, and he was saying, well, so what's going on, Pastor Bill? How, how you doing? I said, I, I don't know what to do. I am at wit's end. We need a building. He's like, well, what's wrong with this building? He, and what he was saying was, man, I'd put my church in this building in a minute. You know, what are you complaining about? You know? And, and, and I said, no, I, it, it, we're, 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 we, we don't have enough space in David's house for the young people, you know. And, uh, and he said, well, there's a building. There's a building over on, on uh, Elmwood. And, and I said, no, there's not. I'm so smart, you know. I know everything. <laughs> no, there's not. And he goes, Pastor, there's a building on Elmwood. And I said, but Caleb, I have searched the neighborhood I have been everywhere. I've looked at buildings I shouldn't even look at because I knew they wouldn't work. But I've looked at everything. There is nothing that we can, can, can use because we, we have outgrown the other building now, see? And so now we're looking for this building. So David has all these kids. He has nowhere for them to go. We buy a building. All right, we, we, we're in that building. Now, there's a reason why we're in that building, and the fault is, is one person in this church. I won't name that person to you, all right, but it's their fault, all right? I didn't want to go into that building because it's downtown. It's not in the nice neighborhood out there on the edge of the city, all right? And we were renting out there. 
I don't want to. I don't want to go downtown. We'll never grow downtown. Who's going to grow downtown? Downtown is full of immigrants, and downtown is full of, of homeless people, and downtown is this, and downtown is that. And I had a bad attitude about all of this because I was wanting our church to grow and get out of a rental kind of d- dynamic. All right, we'll we'll grow and then we'll reach out. We get this building downtown. We got all the youth coming in. We're having a really good time. All of our people say to me, Pastor Bill, we should be in this building all the time. Why are we renting space down here in the south part of the city? Why don't we just have church right here? And I'm like, because this is in the heart of the city. I should never have said that. This is in the heart of the city. I said it. I still remember saying it. And then one Sunday morning, a little lady in this church comes into my office with her husband. And she says, Pastor Bill, can I speak to you? And it was a very polite and wonderful conversation. But it was one of the most convicting conversations I have ever experienced in my life. Because she said to me, and I'm not going to say it exactly like she did. She said it very eloquently and under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. All right? I'm going to say it a little bit different probably. But what, the gist of what she said was, Pastor Bill, you know, when God works on an individual, he starts in the heart. He begins with the heart of a person. And he changes the heart. And then the rest of that person gets changed. How might God work in a city? I wonder if God wouldn't work in a city from the heart of a city. Might he change the heart of a city? And once the heart of the city is changed, might the rest of the city be changed on the outward appearance? You couldn't have put a dagger into my heart and it gone any harder and faster, any swifter than in that moment. And it wasn't that precious woman and what she said, it was the Holy Spirit convicting me of what that precious woman had just said. And it literally changed everything in terms of my approach. And it's like, okay, let's go get that building. So Bekele helps me uh, get this building, all right? But again, there I was arguing with Bekele. There's no building. And he brought me over here. And he, he said, let's just look at it. And he opened the door. And we looked at it. And I looked around in this building. And I was like, oh, Jesus. Because it had been here 30 plus years and it was in disrepair um, and it was being used occasionally, more, more like a check-in, check-out kind of thing. And the, it, what, there was no owner, really, all right? Um, but we knew the people who were using it. God opened the door for us. We bought this building. We remodeled this building and here we are. And now we've grown to the place where we're going to have to expand. But you know what? We're not going to go look for another building because we knew after we got in the first building that we were called to this neighborhood. This is where we belong. This is where we're supposed to be. And this is where we are. But I'm going to tell you something. That doesn't change the fact that ministry is not hard. When Philip and Andrew and these men started to look, you know what they saw? They saw 5,000 plus people. That's just the men, all right? There were more. There were the, the wives and the children. There were teenagers and little children. They're all coming. There's, this is like 5,000 plus families that are hiking towards them with nothing to eat, no plan for eating. And the compassion of Jesus moves. And so he says, what are we going to do? Where are we going to get the food to feed them? And what do these guys do? They immediately pass the buck. I understand it. I get it. But here's the thing. You and I will do that. If we're not careful, we will do the same thing the disciples did. We will move in the same way in which the disciples moved here. And we've got to be very, very, very careful because it's very easy for God's people in our day and time to be pessimist 
and, and to look at life out of a very cynical kind of approach and kind of eyes, okay? And so we have to understand that the sheer magnitude of what um, Andrew and, and, and Peter and others were looking at was overwhelming for them from their natural eye, from that natural perspective. It's terribly, terribly overwhelming, all right? And even life here in this neighborhood, when we look out the window, can be very overwhelming for us, especially if we're individualizing all of the circumstances and personalizing it and feeling like, what am I going to do? If you only look at this from who you are and what you have, you will never, ever be able to function fully in the kingdom because everything God is asking us to do He's asking us to do together, to join ourselves together. As a matter of fact, he's asking us not only to join ourselves to get together, but when we are in unity and harmony with the Spirit of God, and he is calling us and leading us and employing, uh, deploying us into ministry, he's asking us to join arm in arm with others in the body of Christ. And so we do that together as God's people. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to introduce this first row over here today. This is a wonderful group of people who are all of you of Liberian descent. Everyone sitting on the front row is Liberian descent. You may not know, but some of you, many of you know that Maggie lost her sister in the last month. And we had the funeral yesterday uh, here for Maggie's sister. And it was a, a, a really wonderful and precious time. And they were so gracious, this family uh, of Maggie's, to include me in all of what they were doing uh, in celebrating uh, their, their daughter, sister, friend, niece, cousin, uh, leaving this earth and, and stepping into the kingdom and all of that. Um, and, and one of these brothers sitting on the front row is a pastor in the Church of God out in Rhode Island? Yes. And uh, you need to meet these people uh, before you leave today. All right. I just threw everybody on all of you, okay? Um, but some of you may not realize this. This is another part of the history here is that this church's heritage is steeped deep in the church of God. This church was an original church of God when, it was first, when we first planted it here. And those of you who know my wife know that she's like a third generation church of God girl. And all of her uncles and all of her cousins practically are missionaries, are pastors in the church of God. So we have a great affinity. So it was a great joy to be with them. And I, I just have appreciated them and so honored that you would all come and be with us today. So welcome to Life Church today. So thankful to have all of you. Yes. Yes. All right. But yesterday, um, I had to give a tribute. I didn't have to. They, they asked me to give a tribute, and I gave a tribute. I spoke on your behalf. All right. I spoke some things you need to know. You, you really need to know. All right. You need to understand that I, I explained to them that God put us here for a purpose. We're in this neighborhood for a reason. And this church, the heart of this church, is to love the immigrant community of Sioux Falls, to love the Liberian community of Sioux Falls, to love Maggie's family and her heritage in Sioux Falls. And we have Roy and Yvette, and Yvette is from Cameroon, to love the Cameroonian community, if there is one here in Sioux Falls and as it grows, but also to just love and, and honor and bless her heritage uh, coming from Cameroon, all right? Roy came from Louisiana. That's another culture and country as well, all right? We, <laughs> Mississippi, yes, Mississippi. Th oh, did you, did you get that? Don't call me from Louisiana. Uh -uh, I'm from Mississippi, all right? Yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> and your pastor's from Georgia. That's a whole nother country right there, all right? All right? <laughs> so, but, but we want to celebrate and enjoy one another and, and be with one another. But we all bring the brokenness of sin into the dynamic. And when we do and we start to look at that brokenness, we can get overwhelmed. We can get pessimistic, and we can say, you know what? That's not, uh, no, let, let somebody else handle that. Send them away, Lord. Lord, help us if as a church put by God into this community, into this neighborhood, are we going to say, Lord, send them to somebody else? We are called to be here and to be responsible to what God is doing as he grows this church and as we become more and more multicultural in our experience and as we join arm in arm more and more with others in the body of Christ here to do this great work. We cannot become overwhelmed. Andy's not overwhelmed because all of these men don't have coats. He came in here believing that Life Church has an ability to meet some of this need. And so he's bringing us this need and saying, hey, we are the bread of life. We are the extension of Jesus. How do we break some bread in the form of coats and speak to the life of these individuals? How do we work with the ministry center to do that? Next Sunday, people are going to get paraded up and down here in this room, and they're, they're, they are ministry leaders from these other ministries. This is the third year that we have done this. We give away. Next Sunday, we'll give away uh, somewhere between thirteen dollars and $14,000 to these ministry teams that are going to line up here. And some of you would say right now, Pastor, what are you doing? We don't have that kind of money. No, we don't. Not, to, not if we're going to build a church. If we're going to build a church and we need money to build a church, you know, to give away $14,000, uh, that doesn't naturally seem logical, all right? It didn't seem logical to these men that, that, that they could feed this magnitude of people. There's some things that just aren't logical, but we don't live out of just logic, all right? We live responsibly, but out of faith. All right. And that's where we walk from. That's where we act from. That's where we relate from. All right. And so Philip has all of these things going on. All right. Um, and, and so our Andrew does and, and Philip does. And then and then all of a sudden they they tell Jesus, uh, yeah, you know, there is one boy here. He's got five fishes. He's got he's got some barley loaves. All right. And so. Jesus it doesn't appear acknowledges the young boy just yet, but here's the interesting thing. All right, Jesus and the disciples are walking along, and all of this magnitude is following him, apparently at some bit of a distance. And then the, the, the people start to pull in and, 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 and get close. And as they do, Jesus asks these questions. But if the disciples already knew that this little boy, who's probably about 12 years old or so, has some fishes and some loaves, that means he's been hanging up close. He's, he's been up there around these disciples. He's probably been asking questions. He's probably been saying crazy stuff. He's probably been, been pushing and poking and pointing at everybody because he's a 12-year-old or so, all right? And so he's just being a little 12-year-old. He doesn't have his parents with him. He's got a really good mama because she picked, packed him a lunch before he ever left, or he's a really smart kid, all right? But he's, he's the only one there seemingly that has a lunch, 
And so they let him go off and wander about, and he's wandering about, and he come upon Jesus because Jesus is the novelty. Jesus is the, 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 the talk of the community. Jesus is doing stuff, so he's the buzzword. Passover is not the buzzword. That's the religious, traditional uh, um, celebration and feast and all that's going on, and everybody's doing what they normally do there, and, and the hungry are still there, and the lame are still there, and the deaf are still there, all right? Jesus didn't come to those. That's why he went to the pool, as we said the other Sunday, all right? Jesus went to where the need was, and Jesus is out there wanting to bring his disciples aside and teach them some things and, and, and talk to them, and here comes the crowd. And so now they're trying to figure it out. And here's this little boy who's been wandering among them all the time. I want to ask you a question today. If as leaders in Life Church in whatever area you're in, if you're trying to figure out something that's massive and you're trying to, 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 to make sure you, you get the sense of what the Holy Spirit is doing, how much time would you give to a 12-year-old? Would you let them just hang around you? Would you let them just be in the midst of you there? What, what would you do? I got to quit this sermon here, all right? Because uh, it's time, all right? But... but Answer me, answer me in your own heart, all right? What, what would you do? I think most of you would say, you need to go to the back room. You need to go somewhere else. Or you need to go out and play. In other words, let's get rid of you. Let's dismiss you. This is the one big idea I wanted to bring to you today. As God's people, we cannot dismiss the ministry that God has given to us. We cannot put it off, all right? Yeah, Philip and these guys are, are, are trying to define things in financial terms, and, and, and I don't want to miss that. And we need to be good financial stewards of our money and our resources. But I'm telling you, every time we have given into the community on a Generosity Sunday, it has had a natural, tangible impact on life, church, and our growth, even our resources. God has blessed us. And where God guides, he provides. Now, there's so much more I could preach out of that right now, all right? But we have to stop. But here's what I want you to understand. We do not define the ministry and the call of God based on the circumstances and the situations that we find ourselves in and what we see in front of us, all right? If we did that, we would say uh, fish and bread added together, that five and that two, that does not equal 5,000, all right? But here's the equation we use, five plus two plus X. Back in the days of Jesus, the X sign stood for Jesus, all right? Five plus two plus Jesus equals 5,000. All right, we can do it. We can do it only through Jesus. And that's what I want to leave you with today is that everything we do must be done through Jesus. All right, but you and I, we need to be people who will not step back. We will, we will not move back away from this. We will not dismiss this uh, reality that God has called us to minister to the people in our neighborhood and beyond. That sign on that wall out there says we glorify God by making disciples in our neighborhood and beyond. All right, I don't want you to have romantic ideas about some faraway place and sharing the gospel way out there somewhere. I want you to understand the reality is we are in a broken neighborhood, we're in a broken city. We're in a broken state here, and some of us are broken inside of this church. But God has called us together, and through Jesus Christ, we are made whole and complete and fully functional to do the work of the kingdom. Open your eyes to the harvest that is in front of you, all right? Because it is ripe. It is ready. And we need to be God's people to say yes and amen to whatever he's calling us to do, and then seek him for the strategies by which we can execute the ministry of Life Church. Amen. What have you got? What can you give? Praise team, come on up here with me. What have you got?
Here's the key to this little boy. He didn't have much, but he gave everything he had. He gave it all. He didn't say, well, I'll give you part of mine. I'll share what I have with you. Just let me keep a little bit so I know I got something. He didn't understand. As 12 years of age, he didn't understand all of this. But there was a need. And, and the only thing Jesus said, apparently, that we, that we get is sit everybody down. Just sit everybody down. And he took what was given to him. And he blessed it. And as he blessed it, it began to multiply. And as he handed it out, it just continued to come from Jesus. Jesus is that continuous source for every one of us. Don't be afraid of what God asks you to do. Don't be afraid of the circumstance he puts you in, all right? Again, what do you have to give? What do you have to bring? And will you give it all? Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, open our hearts. May we be a people that live outside of our own circumstances. May we have our eyes open to see as you see. And may our hearts be increased with the spirit of generosity so that we are giving ourselves in every way possible to the kingdom. And Lord, whatever we have, let us take our hands off of it and release it to you to be used for your glory. Father, we ask you that you would move in our hearts to show us what we really have and not only to be grateful for it, but to be generous with it. And may we give you everything. We come to you today, Jesus, to give everything. In Jesus' name.